You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 266, uh, uh, Subsection 1. There's three of these in 266, Volume Subsection 1. From the Esoteric School, Esoteric Lessons, 1904 to 1909 by Rudolf Steiner, translated by James H. Hines. This is Lecture 3, given in Berlin on February 21st, 1904. At the end of the last lecture, I also spoke about how a human being has the possibility of working on the so-called astral body by means of something as intimate as control of memory. Today, I would like to add some things to that. This astral body that surrounds us like a cloud in which our desires, instincts and passions are expressed is also the bearer of something that constantly lives and works in our spirit, that is, our memory. Everything that we characterize as memory is centered in the astral body. The idea that you thought yesterday is still within you today. But it has no chance of remaining within you unless it is embedded in your astral body, unless it stimulates vibrations that remain and today again can call back into existence what you experienced yesterday. Now, it is impossible for a human being to take even one step in developing the astral body unless he or she works on the capacity for memory. I have often spoken of how we should work on strict control of thought, on controlling our entire thought life, how we must be clear about the fact that our thoughts are real processes. How it is the greatest untruth when it is said that thoughts are exempt from consequences and that, quote, there is no one watching your thoughts, close quote. Those who really want to develop clairvoyance must work on their memory. We can only do that by not allowing our memory to arise in a confused way beyond the horizon of our consciousness and then disappear again the same way. How, then, do our memories pass through our consciousness? They come and go. The human being surrenders to them. Human beings are chased by rising and subsiding memories. As long as this is the case, they are also prey to all the incidental influences that are exerted upon the astral body by its surroundings. These can be eliminated only if we daily dedicate a short, even if only very short period of time, to the cultivation of our memory. But this must not hinder us from faithfully fulfilling our other responsibilities in life. That is the highest fundamental law of theosophy, that no one be held back from the profession they have in life. Thus, even just a few minutes per day for the cultivation of our memory should bring forth wonders in our astral body. What we are to achieve can be stated in a very few words. We must make our life into a school for learning. 
Life is a school for learning for the fewest number of people. Most people surrender themselves to pleasure and pain. When life passes over them, pain, joy and comfort pass over. They learn nothing at all from their lives. On the other hand, a theosophist says, quote, Every day must bring me forward. Every day must be a step of development for me. Close quote. For this reason, theosophists do not let a day go by without reviewing the most important events of the day, without letting the day's events pass by their spiritual gaze. The best moment for this is the last moment immediately before going to sleep. If we are still able to fill two, three, four, five minutes with the events of the day, to view them in an objective way, then we achieve much for our astral body. During the day we experience pleasure and pain, joy and comfort. Now theosophists should not in any way become apathetic to life. Rather, they should feel intense compassion and intense antipathy, indeed during all of ordinary, everyday life. No one should be able to distinguish them from other people. They should be distinguished from the others only during the set-aside four, five, up to twenty minutes. Then they review the feelings, pleasure and pain, joy and discomfort, not in the usual way, but rather reflect on them as follows. What caused me pleasure and pain? What made me comfortable and uncomfortable? Was this pleasure Was this pain justified? Couldn't the situation have been different if I had regarded my thoughts somewhat differently? Could I perhaps have brought about the enjoyment and discomfort in a different way? Could I not influence the flow of events? Have I acted as I would always wish to act? Have I acted in such a way that my actions can be brought into harmony of the entire world order? In short, it is a raising up of the daily events of one's life to a higher point of view. If we consider our experiences and feelings during these four, five, two, twenty minutes, experience them once again, but not so that we have the same impression, but rather objectively regard them, so that we see our seeing, hear our hearing, and become clear about our joy and pain, become clear as to whether perhaps we are not ourselves the cause of our pleasure and pain through our triviality. In in short, during these minutes we should achieve clarity concerning our whole position in the world. Then we have learned something from our experiences. Then we are working on the development of our astral organs. Those who can see on the astral plane can look and see how the astral body of a person changes when he or she is awake and does these exercises for years. In those who do these exercises, the astral body begins to be organized. Earlier it was chaotic. It was truly mixed up and confused. You can see snake-like lines in grotesque convolutions in the astral bodies of human beings. Now, Certain forms begin to appear, regular forms, as it begins to be organized. Today, people can usually not yet see this, 
but the cultivation of the memory is just the path that can lead us to see this transformation in ourselves and in our fellow human beings. What we have lived through today is the experience we carry with us tomorrow, and this experience is the criterion for our future experiences. This advances our development and organizes our astral body. As insignificant as it may appear, nevertheless its effectiveness is certain. It contributes to the opening of the astral eye, EYE, which then sees into the feelings of others, really sees into the spiritual world. And then you must help this astral eye by divesting yourself of everything attached to yourself, to your singularity, to your unique special existence. If you are able to suppress anything that belongs to your special, unique existence, then you are developing your astral body. Those who have such experience know that it can have an enormous effect if they manage to do the following. The human being has hundreds and hundreds of opinions. However, it is very unimportant whether A or B has an opinion concerning some matter. The wise person has an opinion as well as the fool. Everyone considers his or her opinion infinitely important and wants to bring it to bear. That is why you so often hear people say, I think this, I think that. Therefore, endeavor once in your review of the day to realize how insignificant it is when you express your own opinion at every opportunity. It could be the most insignificant, most incorrect opinion, because our opinions usually depend upon our likes and dislikes. If we manage not to express our opinion, that we are practicing something very important and accumulating enormous power. Every such suppressed manifestation of our unique personal existence, every such silence is a new accumulation of energy to aid us in acquiring knowledge. The more we are able to listen and not express our opinion, the faster we ascend to direct knowledge and direct vision. For those who lack insight into the organization of the human soul, this is unbelievable. Just as certainly as electric energy is stored in an accumulator, so too soul forces can accumulate when we suppress our opinions. This gives us strength and power. Those who have opinions they need to express will be able to ascend only slowly. Those who can be silent a lot, who can let things speak to them, they will ascend quickly. This is a golden rule in relation to direct knowledge. If we refrain from expressing our thoughts to things, then the things will speak to us. A very significant expression from the secret doctrine is, I have learned a great deal from those who stand above me. I have learned much from those who are equal to me and I have learned the most from those who stand beneath me. It is the learning from those who stand below us, learning through listening and through suppressing our opinions, that takes us into the heights. And we learn the most when we let nature speak to us and we listen to her. Then we achieve what must be achieved. 
namely the power to really suspend our judgments and opinions. If we have allowed ourselves the four to five minutes needed to develop our astral body, then something else sets in. What do people do when they are confronted by a question? It may mean something big or small. What do people do there? They reflect on it, strain their minds and believe that they must be the ones to retrieve the answer from the depths of their own thinking. Those who tread the path of knowledge do not do it that way. Goethe characterized it, as he so often did, with hints as an initiate. He once said, We are not called upon to answer the questions, but, to begin with, to pose them, and to wait to see how the question answers itself. Do not underestimate this way of answering questions. It is very powerful. We try to pose the question very clearly, and do not think about the answer, but about the means that are suitable to provide an answer. Let's say, for example, that I am confronted with the question of whether a person is guilty or not guilty, whether he or she acted from an innocent heart or with evil intentions. If I reflect on it, I will not get a correct judgment, but I will arrive at an answer if I consider his or her life, as far as it is available to me, what I have experienced with this person. How has this person presented him or herself to me? What did she or he say to me? What did he or she say to others? Those are not answers, but questions that I have created for myself. They are to be considered. If I do this in a very active way and suppress an answer, then I will arrive at the point where the picture I have created for myself itself gives the answer. I exclude myself, so to speak. If you do this with all your will forces, exclude yourself, so that your self is not involved, so that your thinking is suppressed. If you overcome your desire to give an answer, but just go to sleep with these preparatory questions, then you will have the experience that you awake the next morning with an answer that is much more correct and certain than the one that might have come to you in the evening. While your physical body was resting, your spirit was disembodied, and retrieve the means of answering the question from higher worlds. I would recommend that you keep a pencil nearby so that you can write down the answer immediately upon awakening. If you neglect to write it down, then you will forget it later, because you will be subjected to entirely different influences. The ear-numbing effect of everyday noises does not allow people to develop higher spiritual capacities, Therefore, through these exercises that are known to everyone familiar with the more subtle aspects of the life of the soul and spirit, we must learn to cause the everyday life to disappear for a brief time. If we are able to do this, then in these moments set aside we, set aside, we can develop what theosophists call spirituality, spiritual vision. Then all around us an entirely new world opens itself. The end of Lecture 3